another deputy that was fatally shot in Park County. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, 14 peace officers have been shot in the last three months in Colorado. And so we want to pray for them. And um, one is hanging on to his life in critical condition. Uh, tonight, there's three of them that were shot in that um, incident in Park County. And I just want to pray for them and, and pray for our first responders and for uh, our law enforcement. Uh, we just had a, a memorial last week with uh, Deputy Gare uh, on Mesa County. Uh, sheriff's office and I, I got a friend that's out there and it's been very difficult for the agency so um, we need to continue to show our support to them we need to pray for our first responders and uh, we need to continue to um, you know let them know that we appreciate as the Lord says that their work is a good work it's a good work and uh, it's an honorable work and they're for our safety so father we do tonight we just remember um, our first responders and, and our peace officers that we hear the news just about every day in our nation of, of those who are bravely giving their lives in the line of duty. And Lord, we heard that today. And we pray for the family of Nate Kerrigan that has lost a loved one. And Lord, uh, an agency that has lost a brother one who bravely served his community but has come to the end of his watch. And Lord, I pray that you bring the comfort to his family that they need and strength and to the agency. And, and Lord, as uh, those in blue all around this state, uh, once again, are, are going to be going to a memorial service of a brother who has lost his life in the line of duty. And Father, I pray for Deputy Martin, who is in critical condition right now, shot multiple times. And Lord, I pray that you would restore him. And, and Lord, you touch him and bring healing. That you would be with his family as they uh, watch patiently, as they, they pray. And Lord, we lift them up to you. And, and Lord, commit him to you. And Lord, I, I thank you for our first responders our peace officers, our firefighters. I thank you for those who are the paramedics, our state troopers, Lord, all those who serve our community every day. And Lord, that as they go to work, that they face danger, they, they face difficulties, the uncertainty, but they do it for our good and for our safety. And Lord, may we be a people that we remember to pray for them as we're instructed in God's word. But Lord, also show our support to them. And Lord, as a community, the reason that we love living in, in this area in Weld County is because they have a lot to do with that and keeping us safe. And, and so, Lord, we're thankful for their work. We just pray that you strengthen them, you protect them, that you bring them home safely to their families. And Lord, I, I just pray for tonight that as we travel through these chapters, as we look at, again, the psalmist speaking about worshiping you and your faithfulness and provision for us, that our hearts would be stirred and drawn close to you. And Lord, encourage and uplift it 
So, Lord, bless this time right now. We, we thank you that what you're doing here at Calvary Chapel, I know that as we're going to read shortly, as we continue through the Psalms, that you honor your word above your name. And as we just continue through the word of God, and as, Lord, we are taking hold and, and we believe in the infallibility, the inspiration, the sufficiency of the scriptures. I know that you're going to bless our lives individually. You're going to bless our families. That you're going to, Lord, bless this church. And Lord, that you desire for us to grow in your word. And Lord, have it tucked away in our hearts to give us wisdom. And so, Father, I pray tonight that that would take place. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 111 is going to speak about God's work, and it's going to talk about his work singularly, and then his works that are great, and then uh, the power of his works. And so speaking about God's faithfulness, the psalmist does, and his provision. And then in verse 10, that wisdom that will come uh, from the Lord. So the psalmist writes in Psalm 111, praise the Lord, and I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So as we've gone through the book of Psalms, we have seen a major theme of Psalms, all five books, is that to praise the Lord. And the psalmist remind us, as we've read over and over again, that we're to praise the Lord with our, our whole heart, not half-heartedly. And notice here is the psalmist is saying that, that praise the Lord, I will with my, my whole heart individually. And, and that's what I want more in my life. I want to, Lord, praise you individually and, and to be able to praise you as we're going to see that the psalmists are going to write about praising you all day long. And, and also we're going to praise him with our whole hearts in the assembly of the upright in verse 1 and in the congregation. Now what is the assembly of the upright? The assembly of the upright is the gathering of God's people but it is speaking of you know perhaps a small Bible study. Uh, it's talking about a home fellowship. It's talking about a a smaller group of believers that are getting together. And then you have the congregation. And the congregation would be that more formal meeting, as we know in the Old Testament, when they called for the, the congregation, there would be the reading of the word. And the congregation would come at the feasts and the festivals to worship the Lord. So the congregation is us as we gather on Wednesday nights, as we gather on Sunday mornings, this church family coming together. And what I hope and pray whether we're meeting with our family and family devotions or you're with a group of guys discipling them or Bible study uh, ladies or uh, you're involved in a home fellowship, other believers, that you're praising the Lord wholeheartedly and also as we come into this place that we would certainly make it a part of our service and why we're here. We want to worship the Lord. And you see, when we start the service and we open up, uh, there should be this desire for us to be still and to worship the Lord. And I know that people are coming in and it can be a little difficult and we're checking kids in and it gets a little noisy out in the coffee shop area, but a desire to worship the Lord, a desire with our whole hearts, not just, oh, well, you know, this is a part of the service and, and um, ho-hum, uh, an exercise that we go through, but really a desire to draw close to the Lord and making that a part of our service. So here's the psalmist showing us again something very important. I'm going to praise the Lord with my whole heart, whether it's individually, 
in a small group or with the congregation gathered together. And then we talk about, he talks about, that is the works of the Lord in verse 2. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. And, and the works of the Lord are great. As we see his works and, and all the way through the scriptures, they are great and to be studied by all. And you see, it's important for us to be studying the works of God, what he has done for us and, and his works being faithful and providing because as we study that, then we're going to see his faithfulness and it's going to give us confidence that, Lord, that you can work in my life. You can work in my situation. That's what I love about studying, you know, the stories of the Old Testament and going through the scriptures. As we see God's work, it's like, yes, Lord, you're a big God and you're an awesome God. And you can work in my situation that I'm facing. You can meet my need. You can uh, do that healing. You can uh, do whatever it is that you want to do. And you're going to be true to your word because you are faithful. And you're faithful to your word and to your promises. So study the, the works of the Lord. And then in verse 3, his work is honorable and glorious and his righteousness endures forever. And I notice in verse 3 here that his work singular is glorious, honorable. And I can't help but think about as we're heading into the Easter season. And we'll be heading into Holy Week here in, in a few weeks, in about a month. And, and as we look at his work on Calvary's cross, and that's what I hope that every day that we remember that Jesus on that cross, as he cried out, it is done. It is finished, is what he said. I've done the work. I've done the work in providing forgiveness of sin and salvation and right relationship with the Father. And, and you see, he's done the work. And his work is glorious, bringing redemption for you and for me, provision of, of forgiveness. And, and to be able to be a child of God as we come in faith because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we always want to remember the cross in our lives and every day of our lives. His righteousness endures forever. And then verse 4, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. And so we are to remember the works of the Lord. That's one of the things that the prophets would come along to the children of Israel uh, when they were in rebellion and idol worship and false worship. Hey, remember what the Lord has done. Remember how he brought you out of Egypt and brought you into this land and has provided for you and blessed you. And we need to remember how the Lord has brought us out of the world because Egypt in the Old Testament is just a picture of the world. He's brought us out. He has redeemed us and he has done so much and his promises are true. And we want to remember the work of the Lord in our lives. Lord, you have saved me and forgiven me. You, you have done so much. You've given me a new heart. And you see, we want to always keep in mind and remember his, his works. That's why communion is so important. Because we're remembering the new covenant that we belong to. Do this in remembrance of me is what Jesus would say. And you see, they forgot. In the book of Judges, it says that generation after Joshua, as I've mentioned this before, that they forgot the works of the Lord. And so we want to remember his works uh, because uh, his works are to be remembered. And then verse 5, he has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them uh, the heritage of the nations. And so there's power in his works. Listen, he's the creator the universe and there is no situation that we find ourselves in to where he isn't powerful enough to work in that situation right 
He's all powerful, all knowing, and, and he, in his power of his works, in giving them the heritage of the nations, in verse 7, the works of his hand are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And, and I love this because we know that he is faithful because his word declares it and his name is to be revered we are to have reverence for him his his name holy and awesome is his name and then the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom verse 10 a good understanding have all those who do his commandments his praise endures forever and so we are to fear him and we've talked about the fear of the lord the fear of the lord is not having this unhealthy terror of the lord listen we're his children And I love what the truth of Romans tells us in Galatians because we are adopted sons and daughters. We belong to to him. We are joint heirs with Christ. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. And that word Abba there in the New Testament literally means Papa. You see, my kids can call me Dad. You guys don't call me Dad. But my kids do because why? There's relationship, right? And so we can call out to the Lord and say, Papa, Daddy, that's literally what it means because we are sons and daughters of the living God through Jesus Christ. And here it, it says that, that we are, as we have relationship, holy and awesome is his name, but we fear him because we reverence a holy God and an awesome God and one that is just all, you know, the creation, creator of the world, the one who made you and me. The one who, there is none like him. No other God like him, as we're going to see the psalmist is going to say. Who is like him? And you see, we reverence him and we fear him. That is, that we understand this, that everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, everything that, that we participate in, that the Lord is there and he sees us. You see, it's not an unhealthy fear if I'm terrified of the Lord. And some people, Christians, unfortunately, they have this unhealthy fear of the Lord, kind of like he's a mean old man up in heaven, you know, wanting to zap them if they get out of line. And there are people that I talk to that just have that unhealthy fear rather than he's a loving father. Yes, he chastens us. He, you know, disciplines us because he loves us. But he wants the very best for us. He's already given us the very best, his son, Jesus Christ. And so anyone that I have met that is mature in the Lord and those that I have met that I truly look at and say, hey, they're walking in the wisdom of God because here the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? It means that the beginning of wisdom, it is the very foundation of wisdom in our lives when we are in awe of him. And in reverence to him, to his name. You know, one of the things that that I don't like is when somebody, and this happens, I get mail or somebody who doesn't know me, they call me reverend. You know, Reverend Figs. And, and I know sometimes in a public setting that's said or if, if I'm involved in a public ceremony or something like that or I get mail. But I just don't like that. I'm not to be revered. He is. And it always makes me uncomfortable when I hear, you know, Reverend so-and-so or most, you know, Holy Reverend or Father or Most Holy Father, those kinds of terms. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a servant. 
I'd rather be known as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I, I remember one time that uh, this was a while back, and um, I was in the park walking, and my phone rang, and it was I answered it, and a guy just all of a sudden just started, you know, yelling into my phone. He's going, hey, Bill, you know, and he's cursing, and he said, this job that you did at this house was terrible, and he just kept going on for like a minute and a half, and you did a terrible job, and blankety-blank and all this, and when he finally took a breath, I said, you got the wrong number. And so I said, you got a hold of a pastor, and it was quiet. <laughs> it was quiet for about 10 seconds. And then he said, oh, forgive me, Father. <laughs> and at that point, you just got to kind of laugh. We reverence him. And as I was saying, the one who is really wise is the one who walks in the fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Just being in awe of him and loving him and desiring to want to please him. Lord, I know that you see everything. You hear everything. You know everything. And you see, a healthy fear of the Lord is, I don't want to hurt you and what I do. And sinning in carnality and going after other things that end up becoming a priority for today or, or even in our life. And you see, the Lord desires for us to fear him, and that is that, Lord, you are so great and awesome, you are so good, that I want to please you in everything that I say, and wherever I go, whatever I am participate in, and I want to have that clean heart, because you see the depths of my heart. So here the psalmist writing that, just praising God for his faithfulness and, and for his goodness and provision. And then Psalm 112, again, it's just a taken off from uh, where one, Psalm 111 left off. And the psalmist writes, praise the Lord, blesses the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. I really hope and pray that, that we as Christians and we here at Calvary Chapel, that we delight in the commandments of the Lord. And particularly those of us, you know, who have been around for uh, and walking with the Lord for a while, that we would be able to encourage those who are younger in the Lord to say that God is good and he wants you to live a good life and a healthy life and to be safe and secure. You see, sometimes the tendency can be for Christians is that God's commandments bring some kind of restriction or limitations in my life. And my life is going to be boring and it's going to be, you know, mundane and it's kind of a list of rules. Listen, God's commandments are something that we're to delight in because it's going to bring blessing to us. So walking in the fear of the Lord, oh, you're so awesome and you're so good. And Lord, I'm going to delight in your commandments because they are good for me. You see, we get to live in wisdom. We don't have to live in deception or in darkness or, or you know, in bondage to carnality and sin. We don't have to be cheated by the world. We live for him and his commandments are going to guide us in life to where we can experience that abundant life that he has for you and for me. It is John, the apostle of love, in the last chapter of his first epistle, he says, and, and, and this is the love of God that you keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, every commandment given to us in God's word 
that comes from God is an expression of his love for you. And I pray that you never forget that. Every commandment of the Lord given to you and to me is an expression of his love because he loves us and he wants us to do well and to be free, to walk in wisdom, to be able to have direction for our lives, to be able to have confidence in his promises and to know him more. And you see every commandment, every precept, uh, every principle, everything that we read in the word of God is an expression of his love for you and for me because he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask and think. And I pray that our young people that are upstairs and you guys that are here, that you remember that particularly. That God has such a wonderful future for you, for all of us. But you walk in his ways because our young people are being cheated into thinking that, you know, I can live in carnality or, you know, I, I don't have to keep God's commandments. And, and what about this? Because the pressure of society and because the pressure of people around us or up at the university or at the workplace that says otherwise. Will you please remember this one thing tonight? That every commandment of the Lord given to you is because he loves you and wants you to experience that abundant life and wants you to experience a wonderful life. He will do more with your life than you can do in your own energy, in your own, you know, ideas, your own understanding. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly. And as I look at what the Lord has done in my life, and I'm not boasting, I'm very humbled by it. I'm just so thankful for what he has done in allowing me to minister here and how he's blessed my family and other things that he's allowed me to do. And I know that as I just walk with him and as I look to him and I'm yielded to everything that he says, that that blessing is going to continue. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that I'm exempt from trials. But what it means is, is that he is going to provide and he's going to guide and he's going to just um, do wonderful things in my life and he'll do it in your life as well. Because you see, he's not through with any of us. And he's not through with me And he wants to continue. I think the best is yet to come. That's the way that I like to live. Lord, I love to see what you're going to do today. And I really believe the best is yet to come. And what he wants to do in my life, in your life, and in the life of this church. So the psalmist saying, oh, who delights greatly in his commands? And then as we read in in verse 2, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Uh, The prosperity teachers love these verses here. You know, the name it and claim it, guys. There is great blessing in walking with the Lord. But keep in mind in Scripture, the spiritual eternal blessings are to be the priority. You see, he's to be our desire, not the riches. That's the problem with the prosperity movement. The focus is so much on the temporal. The focus is so much on the material. The focus is so much on possessions. Uh, I remember a family going over to their house, and they were so into that that they had pictures of a house and a boat and everything on their refrigerator, and they were naming it and claiming it. And how sad. Listen, every good gift comes from above. And I know that the Lord can bless us financially. But the priority for every single one of us 
is not to be focused on the gift, but the giver. And to be storing up our treasures in heaven. And it is fearing him and delighting in him. So the psalmist here talking about wealth and riches in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Listen, you may be here tonight and you don't have two quarters to rub, you know, together. And you may be thinking, Lord, how am I going to pay the bills or Lord provide again this month? I don't have any money. But if you're here and you're in Christ, you're the richest person that there is. You are very wealthy. Do you know that? And I want you to remember that. You may have come tonight thinking, I don't know if we've got enough gas to make it here or if our car's going to break down or whatever it may be. But God is going to provide for you and you realize this, that you are wealthy. You're wealthy and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. And you have the eternal inheritance that is yours as you are joint heirs with Christ. The spiritual blessings of Ephesians chapter 1, go through those, those verses there. and We have the eternal inheritance that is ours, and you are wealthy because you have Jesus Christ, and that is everything. In verse 4, to the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Verse 4 here, the Lord is the one who brings light into the darkness because he is light and he is gracious and full of compassion towards us. We're going to see this as we continue in the book of Psalms, this phrase that he is gracious and full of compassion. He is full of compassion, isn't he? He has compassion towards us. We talked a little bit about it on Sunday as Jesus looked at the multitudes and was moved with compassion. It means that he ministered to them. He would feed them and heal them and and teach them. And you and I, that we are to put on what? Remember Sunday? Tender mercies or tender compassion. We are to have compassion for others. What my hope and prayer for us here at Calvary Chapel is that we would have tender compassion towards one another and towards the lost. Towards the lost. That we would look at those in the workplace, in the neighborhoods, and family members, and at school, and have tender compassion. And it would move us to want to give them the truth of God's word and the gospel. You know, this is a great time of the year as we find ourselves in the season of Lent, and we're heading towards Holy Week, and we're going to have a number of services. Matter of fact, on Easter weekend, we're going to add a Saturday night service. And it's a great opportunity for you to invite somebody out to hear the gospel. Pray about it now. Pray about who it is that you might invite. Who you might be able to to talk to and tell. Bring them to a Good Friday service. Uh, We're going to have multiple services going on that week. To be able to, to give them a CD, something. Because more people are open during this time of the year. Christmas and during Easter, they hear that message. Sometimes we think, oh, they're such a pagan, you know, they don't want to hear anything. Uh, Oh, pray about it. Pray about it. And have compassion. And may we have compassion towards the lost because they need Jesus Christ. In verse 5, as the psalmist continues, a good man deals graciously and lends, and he will guide his affairs with discretion. You know, every good gift does come from above. And here he's talking about the one who deals graciously, he lends, he's generous, but he also, he's a good steward of what he has been given. 
and surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance, and he will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. So the one who walks in the fear of the Lord and keep his commandments is the one who has stability in their lives. And we build upon the firm foundation, Jesus Christ, the word of God, and we are steadfast. And a believing heart, listen, is going to have a steadfast heart. A believing heart, knowing that the Lord is in control. When the stock market tanks, you're going to be steadfast. And you're not going to be overwhelmed with fear, but God's going to take care of me and God's going to take care of us because he's on the throne. And in verse 9, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And his horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. The wicked will not prosper. You might be thinking, well, that guy that I know that's dishonest and, you know, is greedy, he seems to be prospering. He has that new car. He has that new house. Listen, they're not prospering. Oh, temporarily. But eternally and spiritually, they're not prospering. Remember Jesus when he was writing to the church of Laodicea? Laodicea, which was actually only a few miles from Colossae. Laodicea was a city that... It was an entertainment city. It was where the Roman circus was, and a lot of wealthy people came there. It was a wealthy city, and, and Jesus writes to them. He says, do you guys see yourself as wealthy and prosperous and, and all of this, but you're poor, miserable, and wretched? Because he didn't have anything to good to say about that church. And he said, you're lukewarm. And he rebukes that church. And sometimes we get mixed up. We think that, that being prosperous, in the best sense of the word, is, is having the material things and, and having you know, the possessions and all that. And it is when you have Jesus Christ and he's the priority of your life, you are wealthy. And listen, the wicked are not getting away with it. Remember Psalm 73, Asaph? Remember, he's going through and he's talking about how the wicked seem to prosper and get away with everything. And he, he was just heartbroken and he could barely stand it. He said, I, I couldn't stand it anymore until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then I realized that the end of their way is destruction. And when we come into this place and we open up the Bible and as we're worshiping him, it's such a joy and such a great opportunity and such a great privilege because we are experiencing the riches of the Lord and we are wealthy because we have Jesus and that is everything. Everything on this earth is going to go away. It's temporary. We can be thankful for what the Lord has given to us. Be good stewards. Be generous. We know that the Bible talks a whole lot about that, but remember this, it's all going to go away. So make sure you're storing up your treasures in heaven. Make sure that you're keeping him the priority. Make sure that you keep your eyes on the things above and realize that as you're in Christ, as you have a believing heart, that you are truly wealthy in the Lord. Well, Psalm 113. Now, Psalm 113 through 118 are called the Hillel Psalms. These are the Psalms that are sung during the major feasts of Israel. 
springtime, you have Passover. It's in early summer, you have Pentecost. And then in the fall, you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Those were the three major feasts that the Jews would celebrate. And so they would be sung these psalms here, Psalms 113 through 118, uh, during those feast days. We read in Psalm 113, praise the Lord. Praise those servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. So we should fill our day with the praise of the Lord. And, and a, a, again, it's an attitude of the heart. Praising the Lord when we get up. You know how David would say, I awakened the dawn. To praise you, Lord. Oh, I just can't wait to give thanks to you, Lord. To praise you throughout the day. Till the going down of the sun. I want to do more of that. I want to have that kind of, of praise in my heart all day long. And that's what the psalmist is saying. In verse 4, the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. So why should we praise the Lord all day long? Because of who he is. And his throne is exalted above the heavens. In verse 7, he raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap. That he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. You know, this awesome, all-powerful God cares about us and our needs. And he talks about the one. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. When I read that this afternoon, I couldn't help but think about Job. Remember Job? Job that went through tremendous loss, lost his children, lost his servants, all his possessions, lost just about everything except for his wife. And we know that he was afflicted physically, and there he is in where? The ash heap, isn't he? He's sitting there in the ash heap, and he's got sackcloth on, and and he's mourning, and he's weeping, and he's grieving very deeply. And his three friends come along and sit with him in the ash heap. And we went through all those chapters of that discussion with Job and his three friends, those miserable counselors, as he would call them. And we see that then the Lord would speak up and speak to Job and say, Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the universe and the foundations of the world? And he goes on and he talks about his greatness and, and that, that he is powerful enough to handle all of that. And I am powerful enough and I am good that I want to take care of you, Job. And Job never got the answer why he went through all that. He didn't know chapters 1 and 2, what was going on, that heavenly scene with, with Satan and God and Satan accusing Job and, and all of this. But it was Job that finally realized that, Lord, that you are big enough to raise me out of the ash heap. And he did, and he blessed Job. And maybe tonight you're here, and maybe you've gone through loss, you're needy, you're hurting, uh, you're wounded in your heart. And maybe you feel like you're sitting in the ash heap and you're mourning and you're grieving. And there's a sadness that is in your heart that know that the Lord sees you and he knows what you're going through. And he wants to raise you out of that. He wants to comfort you. He wants to bless you. He wants to strengthen you. And notice again here, I was thinking like, he grants the barren woman a home and a joyful mother of children, just the blessing of having children. And 
And as we talk about on Sunday, we're going to talk about a relationship between parents and children. And, and it can be hard, it can be difficult to raise children today in our society because the way our society is and so much darkness and voices that are out there. But I do want to say this, that those of you who are raising children, that I pray that you see it as a great joy. And you have a wonderful, wonderful ministry. I think one of the most important ministries that we have is to our children. To make it a priority to our spouse, to our children, to our families. And as you're raising your children, moms and dads, but I know some of you are single moms, some of you are single dads. I pray that you do it with great joy. And this marvelous gift that God has given to us, our children, and we want to encourage you and we want to, to bless you in that and come alongside and help you as you bring your children here, as we have those who minister to them. But what a great joy it is, isn't it? You see, society comes along and kind of makes it seem like it's a burden to have children and to raise them up. And we should never have them think, our children, that they're a burden, but they're a blessing. And we can go through hurts. And we can go through challenges. I understand that. I've been around and talked to enough families to where things happen with their children or, or things happen that hurt us because of our children. But as we have children and raising them in the ways of the Lord and you have them under your roof, may we see it as a joy to be able to do that, to be a parent, to be a mom and a dad. Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Psalm 114 speaks about the deliverance of God's people and the power of God. And in verse 1, God delivers us from Egypt. He's delivered you and I from the world, hasn't he? And in verse 2, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. As verse 2, not only God delivers us, but God is with us. He delivered them. He brought them out and separated them to himself. And he has separated us to himself. He's delivered us, saved us, and listen, we are created for his good pleasure. When we finally make that our own, that just as those 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4 around the throne of God are singing that song and they're saying that you have created all things and they were created for your good pleasures, Lord. That as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we're not saved by works. Hey, you're saved by grace through faith. That it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's such a wonderful verse to tell us that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. We can't boast in our salvation. It's not by works. But with that said, that you are created to do good works. Verse 10. For you are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works since the foundation of the world. Since the very beginning, that you may continue in those good works. Listen, the Lord has created you in me for a purpose, and that is for his good pleasures. You are his workmanship. His poem is a poem, is the Greek word, where we get our English word poem. You're his masterpiece. You're his, his uh, work is, uh, that he's doing in you for his good pleasures. So when we realize that, that, Lord, I was created for a purpose. Sometimes people ask me, why did God make mankind for his good pleasure? And I think, Lord, really, I was created for your good pleasure? I must be such a disappointment at times. But he says, no, I knew you before the foundation of the world. And I am going to do that work in you. You are 
my workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should continue in them. And every day when we live in that way, saying, Lord, I was created for your good pleasures, I want to please you. I want to bring glory to you. And I want to be used of you. And that's the heart that delights the heart of the Father. So Psalm 115, and we'll finish here tonight, that Psalm 115, now unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy. Because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? So we're to give glory to God. Man oftentimes wants the glory, doesn't he? But Isaiah says that he won't share his glory with any man or any woman, will he? Man's glory is going to go away. God's glory is forever. Reminds me of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. He came out on the balcony of Babylon and he said, look at this great city, this kingdom that I built and raised up. And he's full of pride and God dealt with him. And he would become insane and uh, like an animal scratching at the dirt and long claws and all this for seven years. And he came out of that insanity and he was humbled before the Lord. And in Daniel chapter 4, he writes that letter, that testimony uh, that the Lord is the true and the living God. I believe Nebuchadnezzar came to know the Lord. We're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. But God humbled him. Listen, God will not share his glory with any man or any woman. We don't have any reason to glory in ourselves. The glory goes to him. Amen. And the glory that we have, any glory that we might have, you know, the old glory days of high school football or the glory days of whatever it might mean for you, that they're going to go away. And we're to give glory to him. And we're to honor him. And we're to stay humble before him. In verse 2, why should a Gentile say, so where is their God? Hey, listen, in life, people are going to try to get you to question your faith. Where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God in this situation? Where is your God in, in, in this circumstance? And what we answer is verse 3, our God is in heaven. My God is the true and living God. He's on the throne, and he sees me. He does whatever he pleases. In verse 4, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, they do not hear. Noses they do not, uh, they have, but they do not smell. In verse 7, they have hands, but they do not handle feet. And, and they have, but... They do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. Verse 8 is very important for us to understand. Here, the psalmist is talking about how idols are worthless. And again, that was the message to God's people all throughout the Old Testament. You take a block of wood, you take some metal, you shape you know, uh, an idol, and it has ears, and it has nose, and mouth, and uh, hands, but it can't do anything. You have to prop it up. You have to carry it around. And there is not one example in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, of where those idols help God's people. And so God's message is the foolishness of those idols. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. Remember the wonderful works of the Lord. And that's why we need to remember what he has done. He's the creator of all things. And so those idols are nothing. 
And you might be thinking, well, I don't have an idol propped up above, you know, the fireplace on a mantle. That's what people will say. But idol can be anything that's a priority over your relationship with the Lord. So we need to be careful and listen. It says here in verse 8 something very important. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. The old Bob Dylan song, everybody believes and will worship something, right? Some people say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in anything. Well, your idol is yourself. Because man was created to worship. And man will have something that will be an idol if it isn't the true and the living God that is a priority in their life and in their heart, then there will be an idol. It may be sitting in the driveway. It may be in their bank account. It may be in greed. It may be in intellect. It may be in prestige. It may be in anything, even it can be ministry. If there are those who really just becomes an idol, And here's the thing to remember. Whatever your idol is, whatever has priority over your relationship with the Lord, whatever motivates you to get up in life, what you live for, you're becoming more like that. If it's greed, you're going to become more and more greedy. If it's pride, you're going to become more and more prideful. Whatever your idol is, Here verse 8 is telling us, and those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. Now, the good news for you and for me, the Lord is truly the Lord of my life, that's good news, isn't it? Because we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ day by day as he's the priority of our lives in every area of our lives. And then in verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He blesses us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. And he will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. I love these verses because here that O Israel, the nation, you're to trust in the Lord because he is your help. He's your shield. Aaron, hey, the, the priestly family, you trust in him. He's your help and your shield. You individually trust in him because he's your help and shield. And it's the same with us. As a nation, we need the Lord. How we need to be praying for our nation Because our nation is getting further away from the Lord. And I know that as we find ourselves in an election year, that that's important. And I know that it's important for us to to be, you know, watching the candidates and listening and, and all of that. But I hope that none of us really think that the next president or elected officials, as important as it is, As much as we want to pray, I hope that we realize that it's not our hope. That our hope is in Jesus Christ. And the hope of this nation is to trust in him. For he's our strength and our shield. We like to hear the phrase, God bless America. God has blessed us. He's blessed us tremendously. But we cannot as a nation, as a whole, and our leaders turn further and further away from the Lord and expect that blessing and a hand of blessing. So we need to be praying for our nation and for the church, the house of Aaron, the priestly tribe. You and I were a kingdom of priests, is what Second Peter says, and that we are to trust in him. 
that we are to be ones that continue to fear the Lord and to walk in his wisdom. And you individually, as you're trusting in him, remember this, he's your help and your shield. And he will bless us, verses 12 through, through 13. He will bless the house of Israel and the house of Aaron and those who fear the Lord. Five times it says here that he's going to bless us. You see, here's the thing. The Lord wants to bless us. We're told this. He wants to bless our nation. He wants us to repent and turn to him. He wants to bless this church. We want to trust in him. Listen, as we talk about how the church is growing and the crowds get bigger and exciting things are happening, here's the thing. I don't want to trust in numbers. I'm thankful for them. Hear my heart on this. David numbered the people. He numbered the people and it brought a plague. He sinned against the Lord. Why? Because he was trusting in the strength of how many men he had. And he had forgot that his strength, his ministry, able to defeat his enemies because he trusted in the Lord. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord, remember? And may we here at Calvary Chapel, knowing that God wants to bless us, that we remember that it isn't in numbers and buildings and budgets and all of this. It's in him. Amen. We're going to trust in him. And he is our strength and he is our shield. And he desires to bless. So he gets the glory. Not that we can exalt a name. Not that we can have prestige. Not that we can be known as the cool church or, you know, the happening place. But the place where we can bring people to Jesus. And they can hear the truth of God's word and be a light on a hill. And that we can proclaim truth and point people to him. Because he's the one to trust in. And he's the one that is our shield. And he's the one that desires to bless us. And that's what we need to remember. So verse 14, may the Lord give you increase more and more. And may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Praise the Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for these psalms that we've gone through. And Lord, may we remember that you're our salvation, you're our redemption. Lord, you're everything that we need. And so our praise goes to you. Lord, we want to give glory to you. We want to be humbled before you and walk in the fear of the Lord. Just in awe and reverence of you. Because your name is holy and awesome. You provide for us, you are faithful. And you have delivered us from Egypt, from the world. And I do want to pray tonight, if there's anyone listening on live stream that might be here tonight, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that the truth of God's word is this, that you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. You can't save yourself. But Jesus did the work, his marvelous work, so glorious by going to the cross for you to die for your sins. 
He is your salvation. He is your sacrifice for sin. There is none other. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Salvation is for you tonight if you've never come to salvation. And tonight is, is the time of salvation, not tomorrow. Right now, while the Lord is speaking to your heart, will you put your faith and trust in him for forgiveness? He wants to make you new and give you a new beginning and a new heart to forgive you and give you the hope of eternity. You cry out to him. You turn to him. Surrender your life to him. He loves you. And right where you are, you can pray, Jesus, I come to you. I am a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me. And I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and rising from the grave. And I pray that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I trust in you. And I thank you for delivering me from sin and from this world and bringing me into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. And now I can call you Abba, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you did, anybody prayed that prayer tonight, I'm going to be here when we conclude the service. Come up and tell me the decision you made. I want to pray with you and talk with you. But for all of us, may we just remember the works of the Lord, your faithfulness and your provision for us, Lord. Thank you for this time tonight. Take everyone home. We do pray for the men's conference that you would bless it on Saturday, that the guys would get here and we just, uh, Lord, just be blessed with the teaching and the worship and being together. And Lord, I look forward to what you're going to do. And I look forward to, to what you want to do with us corporately as a church, as we continue to point people to Jesus and to give you the glory, Lord and great things that you want to do. And always remember in our lives this, that every commandment that you give to us is an expression of your love. So may we trust in you and in your ways and walk in your ways. Thank you for tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand?